So we're going to be um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to start off with today. Um, but as you guys know, I usually always start the service or the message by doing a little bit of intentional repetition, purposeful redundancy to try to continue to hammer home the, the points and the trajectory that we've been going as a, as a body. Um, as you might remember, we've been on this Emmaus road, on this Emmaus journey. We started in Luke 24 with the two disciples who were leaving from Jerusalem and they were headed to a town called Emmaus. And somewhere along the way, a man came up behind them and asked them what they were talking about. And they were talking about, in a very negative manner, by the connotation of Scripture, they, were, they had a sad countenance. They kept using past tense. We had hope that Jesus was. And all of these things. And the man finally just says, Stop. Oh, foolish of heart and slow to believe all that uh, the Scriptures say. And basically what he does then, this man is actually Jesus, and what he does is he starts at Genesis and then he works his way through the entire Bible and shows them how everything points to Jesus. And he shows them how everything that had happened was necessary to happen to fulfill the plan of atonement or redemption's plan according to the purpose of God. And so we looked at that and that's where we began our journey. We said that we're going to start at Jerusalem and we're going to go on this Emmaus road and hopefully we will come into a greater relationship with Jesus along the way and we were going to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. So we started there and we realized that our relationship with Jesus is Jesus as our teacher, we as the students, Him as the shepherd, we as the sheep. And we realize that that curriculum, our course, our curriculum is of Christ. And then the second week, we looked at upon this rock I will build my church. And it's the revelation that Peter had. Jesus it stops and He says, who do men say that I am? And his disciples kind of offered up several different opinions. They said, some say that you are Elijah, some say that you are Elisha, some say that you're Jeremiah. And then he says, okay, okay, okay. But who do you say that I am? And then Peter, with his trademark impetuousness or impulsiveness, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, first he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has made this known to you. But then he proceeds and he says, upon this rock will I build my church. Upon the rock of the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And we've seen other passages which reference Jesus as the Christ, or Jesus as the foundation, or Jesus as the cornerstone. And so we realized that our construction, we come together as one temple, our construction is built upon the foundation of Christ. Our construction is upon Christ. And then the third week, I thought that we were kind of taking a, a step back. Remember that I told you guys that I had a message prepared and God kind of began to reveal something to me that I needed to take a moment and just pour out my heart on a particular scripture. And I preached a message and I, I just called it all for Jesus. And I said, regardless of what you have in your life, because we are so ready to give up all the bad stuff, we're saying, okay, God, you can take my sin, you can take my sickness, you can take my pain, you can take my bad relationships, my problem people, you can take the, the weariness of my job, you can take all of these things, but we're less apt to give God the things that we think are valuable. And Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, everything that I counted as gain, that I counted as valuable, that I counted as worth something, those are the things that I counted as loss, that I could just win Christ. And so I challenge you guys from my heart, 
and said, what is it in your life that you count as valuable that you put above Christ? That you say, well, I love my relationship with Jesus, but I don't know if I would be willing to give this up. And we said, any possession that possesses us that we can't give up actually possesses us and we no longer possess it. It has become an idol in our life. And so we looked at that and I used the example of me as a pastor and how I've prayed and I've desired and I've sought to get to this position. But if God told me to quit, that I would be forced to obey because if I couldn't quit the ministry to please God, if that was what He told me to do, not saying that it is, but if He told me to leave, a, leave something that I esteem as extremely valuable and I refused, then I'm putting that as an idol in my life and putting it above God. And I said, our focus should be consumed and captivated by Christ. We as a people should be consumed by Christ. And then last... I'm sorry, the week before last, we preached on marriage and the great mystery and our relationship that He is the husband and we are the bride. And we looked at that and the relationship between the husband and the bride and how that connects together. And we made the revelation that our covenant, because marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman before God, that our covenant is in Christ, that we have a covenant with Christ before God. And so that the things that hold a husband captive when he says, till death do us part, and he says all of these things about marriage, that Jesus is saying the same things to us as his bride. Like, I will die for you. I will provide for you. I will help you. I will encourage you. I will sanctify you. I will strengthen you. All the things that a husband vows to his wife are the things that Christ has vowed to us. And so we have that covenant with Christ. And then last week we looked at the vine and the branches. All of these being the intimate relationships between us and Jesus, that He is the vine and we are the branches and we're all connected. And so our sustenance, our growth, everything that we have is from Christ. And so that leads us today, kind of wrapping up this, this series. Today is going to be the, inclusion, the conclusion of this series. We're going to look at Jesus being the head and us as the church being the body. See, everything that we've looked at, the shepherd, the sheep, the foundation, the temple, the um, treasure and the vessel, the bridegroom and the bride and the vine and the branches, they've all been a specific relationship that we have with Christ. And so today we're just going to look at the final one of those specific intimate relationships that He is the head and we are the body and what that means for us. And then hopefully how it all ties together so that this hasn't just been a stairway to nowhere, but it's actually bringing us back home to the Emmaus Road. So 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to be in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I just want to point out a couple things and then we'll kind of proceed with this message. In verse 13, he says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. What he's essentially saying there is there is a wide group of people that are coming together from all sorts of different backgrounds, regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity. It doesn't matter if you're Chinese, if you're black, if you're white, if you're red, if you're yellow, if you're green. And then he goes on to say slaves or free, saying there's different social classes in this body as well. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, you come from a broken home or you come from a home that's that's still structured orderly as we say in America, this is how the picture should look. All of that he's saying that there's people from all different backgrounds, from all sorts, from all groups, from all different ethnicities. He's saying this is a diverse body. And the thing we're going to look at is we're looking at unity, but we're looking at how unity is empowered by diversity. That diversity doesn't have to equal division. That diversity gives power to unity because without it, we're just looking at uniformity. If everybody looked the same, and this is what he ends up addressing later in the passage, if everybody looked the same, if everybody were an eye using the picture of the body, then you would either have a single eye sitting on the floor or you'd have like a big pile of eyeballs and there would be a lot of things, that's a gross picture, isn't it? There'd be a lot of things that that stack of eyeballs couldn't do. It couldn't eat, it couldn't work, it couldn't provide for anybody else, it couldn't administer care to anybody else. Oh, it could see really well. But it couldn't hear, it couldn't smell, it couldn't walk, it couldn't travel, it couldn't do a lot of things and there would be a vast amount of limitations. Therefore, in the body of Christ, if we all try to look like the same thing, if we all try to look like each other, if you all try to act and sound and preach and teach like me or sing like Faith or work like Tony or Dewey or Marty or anyone else in the church or you try to talk with a certain accent and everybody looks the same, then we're really putting limitations on ourselves by trying to accomplish uniformity instead of unity. We want unity empowered by its diversity. Because then he goes on to say, and I believe it's in verse 19, and he says, if the whole, I'm sorry, if all were a single member, where would the body be? If everybody was the same. So what he's essentially saying is, yeah, there's a lot of people from a lot of diverse different backgrounds, but there's a lot of diverse individuals from those backgrounds. You have smart and dumb. You have pretty and ugly. You have, you know, fat and skinny. You have good speakers, bad speakers. People that can talk eloquently, but people that, that have a stutter. You have people that are really hard workers and people that have a lazy tendency. You have a very broad group of people, not just by their backgrounds, but also by their individual talents. Some people are gifted to sing and play. I'm not. That would be a tragedy if I stood over there behind that piano and sang a song. Some people are gifted to stand up and preach. Some aren't. 
some people had this microphone and a Bible up in front of them, it would be a very difficult time for them and the listeners. Some people are meant to work behind the scenes. We look at the body, and he uses the parts that require modesty and the parts that don't but I want to look at the organs versus the hands and this is something that Faith actually and I were talking about earlier in the week and she said you know she was comparing it to extroverts and introverts and how some people have that outgoing personality and some people don't some people want to be behind the scenes they want their reward of God and they want to do their things in secret everybody here looking at me no technology whatsoever can any of you see my heart the actual organ not the abstract, oh, I see your heart through what you're speaking. No, the actual organ. Can anyone see the, my heart? You can't. But if you took it out of my body, I'd die. You can't see my lungs either. But if you took them out, I wouldn't be able to preach. There's some people that are gifted in such a way that maybe they're gifted through their financial business savviness and they write a huge check that keeps churches going. And nobody knows about it but them and God. But if you took that person's business savviness away and that gifting of God and that financial support, then that church fails. Or some people are just, they just enjoy cleaning and doing things behind the scenes. And if you took them out, then we might still have church, but there might be little rats running across the floor having church with us. There's people that are gifted in such a way that their job and their work is behind the scenes. And it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing to the body of Christ. And you see the effects of it but you don't see the work that goes into it. Like, you don't see my heart beating, but because I'm standing here breathing and functioning, you can take it for granted that my heart is in fact beating. Because we're standing or sitting here having church and functioning, you can take it for granted that there's some people that are doing some things behind the scenes, financially, work around the church, and all prayers, intercessions, all sorts of things that are going into this that aren't visible but we see the effects of it. And sometimes we take it for granted. I don't pay attention. Okay, I got to breathe in. I got to breathe out. I got to breathe in. I got to breathe out. It's just a subconscious activity. But if you took my lungs away, then it would become a very, very forefront thought in the center of my mind. Like, I got to breathe out. I got to breathe in. And I can't do either because my lungs are taken away. You don't, we take it for granted that there are people that are sowing there are people that are working. There are people that are praying. There are people that are serving. There are people that are doing outreach in the community. We take all of those things for granted. But if they stopped and we began to see the detrimental effects, then we would become acutely aware of what they were doing behind the scenes the whole time. That's why, because we're a body. Not everybody needs to be seen. Not everybody needs to be heard. But everybody needs to realize what God has called them to do specifically and function together as a body is supposed to. We'll get to further into that in a second. Verse 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I want to show you guys a funny picture, and you're going to laugh at me, but it's hilarious. So last night, every day, Faith is giving me the look of death right now because this is about her and she knows it. <laughs> every day, we'll choose one of our kids' bedrooms and we'll just leave the door open and like you can do whatever you want in there. You can trash it, you can pull stuff off the walls, whatever. We'll just go behind that evening and clean it. Occasionally, I'll just be like all happy-go-lucky and I'll just open both doors and say, just trash it all. We'll clean it tonight, just trash it all. And so that was, yesterday was one of those days. 
and so they had trashed both rooms and faith and i were kind of just at the end of the day just picking everything up getting them wound down for their nap getting them ready to take a bath and she walked in and had picked out bubba's outfit for the, this morning and she was walking through his door back into the hallway where i was standing and next thing you know she's oh, hunched over falling into the wall you'd think that she had just got hit by a bazooka she had stubbed her little toe on the door frame as she was walking out of the room and you would have thought you would have thought she was dying if you just it does hurt i did i i laughed till i cried i even told her then i was going to use it as an example today she stubbed her little toe and you would have thought she was dying i know what that feels like because she i did it and cut my little toe almost in half and she laughed at me so it was payback but you you can feel that pain like in your fingertips like you you don't pay attention to your little toe i don't think right now okay i got to put so much pressure on my little toe you know but if you injure it it becomes a very conscious effort to administer as much care to that little toe as possible you baby it, you massage it, you put your foot up, put some ice on it, you know. An injury to your little toe, such a little seemingly insignificant member of the body, you injure that and it sends shockwaves through the rest of the body. And the body of Christ is supposed to be the same way. The problem is we don't pay any attention to our body our little toe in the body of Christ or our seemingly insignificant people, the people that we think, oh, they're not in the limelight. They're just do they may be doing something behind the scenes, I don't know. So we don't pay any attention to them until they come to church and say, I've been diagnosed with a terminal illness or I'm bankrupt and I'm losing my house. Or I got fired yesterday. Or they came and they took my kids away because false accusations or any of that stuff. But when there's an injury that comes into their life, we pay all the attention in the world to them, which is a good thing. But the problem is, we don't pay any attention to them until the injury happens. Now with your little toe, that's a funny picture because I don't want you to massage your little toe on a daily basis just because that would be weird. But what we should do is we should make it a consistent habit to follow up, to check up on, to have conversations with, to make an occasional phone call to other members in the body of Christ because we don't know what they're doing for the body, but we also don't know what they're dealing with outside the body of Christ. We don't know the struggles that they're dealing with. We don't know the pain that they might be in until we make that connection. See, it doesn't just say suffer with those that suffer. Otherwise, you could just treat them like your little toe until you stub it and then take care of them. But it says honor and rejoice. Honor them by showing that they are valuable even when you don't even see the value that they have. Because some people, everybody does this, you look at somebody and you just kind of write them off, maybe because of their background, maybe because of the way they look, the way they talk, or maybe just because they remind you of somebody in your life and you're just like, I just really can't deal with that. Honor just means, in this sense, just going above and showing them that they're valuable. And that's what we should do. We should show everyone in the body of Christ they are valuable, even if we don't see their value. Obviously, God does. And He's a lot smarter and a lot wiser than we are. So if He esteems them valuable, then we should esteem them valuable. But then we should rejoice with those that rejoice. The problem in the church 
and I'm guilty of this. I'm going to make a confession on myself, tell on myself, because I'm not perfect. If y'all think I'm perfect, I am so sorry to let you down. But I am not perfect. Faith was reading the other day on her phone, and this ministry that we've had some dealings with in the past posted, and they had this miracle. And it was a certifiable miracle. They said... This lady came in, she had cancer. I, I won't give the exact details, but she had the list, the doctor's notes signed, the scans, this is what I have. And then I think it was a week, two weeks later, she had the paper, this is what I now don't have, signed by the same doctor. So it was a certifiable, this healing actually occurred. Wonderful. I felt in my heart, myself getting angry. Forgive me. I wasn't angry that the lady was healed. I was thankful that God moved in her life. Praise God. I was angry because I know the people that are the heads of that ministry and the way that they've we've dealt with them in the past and some things that they've said. And I'm not saying that they're still there. They may be, they may not be. But I've personally, I'm not going to give their names, I've personally watched them do crazy things like if you don't pay 10% of your finances to the church, God's going to break your washing machine to get His money. Like, I've heard them say those things. I've witnessed them do things like that. Now, that was a while back, so they could have repented and changed, and, and God could be blessing the fruits of their repentance. But I felt myself getting angry in a time where I should be rejoicing with them. Account, giving account that they're not perfect. Jesus is the only one that's perfect. But they got to witness God moving on their behalf and were rejoicing. And as a member of the body... I should rejoice with them, not allow myself to be angry because they're experiencing favor when I don't think that they were in a position to deserve that favor. And I'm not saying that's what I think. I'm just saying I felt that rise up and I had to deal with that because of where I, my thoughts went. My thought went to their failure. And I just want to say, thank goodness and thank God that when we have Him move on our behalf, His thoughts don't go to our failures because they're numerous. So I had to deal with my own self and my own weakness and say, okay, they may not be perfect. Maybe they've repented. Maybe they haven't. They're not perfect. But God did something for this woman. Regardless of who He chose to do it with, this woman who I don't know just got healed of a terminal illness. So she's rejoicing. So I should rejoice with her. That's what the body's supposed to do. When someone's suffering, yeah, we suffer with them. When nothing's going on, we still honor them and show them that they're valuable. And when they rejoice, we should rejoice with them because we're a body. I want to read this Scripture real quick. It's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to make you turn several places in a minute. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I chose to read this out of the King James Version because I like the wording. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Assembling. Has anyone ever been at Christmas time, and I'm speaking to all the dads, your kid opens a present and it's a box and it's got a really awesome picture. And then at the bottom in this little square it says, some assembly required. <coughs> Now, you could do one of two things. You could open that box and you could dump all of those individual little pieces out. And if it's Claire, she would have the time of her life. If it's anybody else, they look at the picture on the box and then they look at the pile of single pieces 
and it'd be like, this isn't the same. I want the picture on the box. I don't want the individual pieces. So then the dad spends the next 45 minutes trying to assemble it without the directions, and then the mom comes over and nags him enough, and so finally he picks up the directions and takes him five minutes when it should have only taken five minutes to begin with, so he's wasted 50 minutes of his life when he should have just picked up the instructions. I do that every time, and I know I'm going to do it, but I still do it. It's like i got to prove a point to myself that I can assemble it without the instructions to show how good I am. And what I always do is I assemble the whole thing and I leave a piece out. And I'm like, I don't have any idea what any of this pile of stuff is for. They, they put extra pieces in this box. I just know it. But what the problem is, is so often in the body of Christ, we as individual pieces come into a box. And we're in a box that we call a church building and we never are assembled. We're just individual single pieces in a box. And so there's no finished product for the world to see. So when we open the box and all these individual pieces go out because they were not assembled, there's no picture, there's no finished product for the ones outside who are eagerly waiting for the manifestations of the children of God. There's no picture for them to see. They don't see Jesus, they just see a bunch of individual pieces. And they can look around them and they can see all kinds of individuals. But what they really need is they need to see a group of people assembled together. So now you can turn to Ephesians 4, 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part, when each individual piece is working properly in the gifting and the office and the administration that God has specifically gifted and called them to, then the body should not only be joined together, but it should be held together. So even though we go out those doors, we are still assembled together as a body by the function and the giftings that each individual has. But because we esteem value on one gifting, everybody tries to be that so we all look like an eyeball. Or because we don't esteem this, nobody wants to be a hand so we walk around with no hands we have a body with no hands and I know nobody in here that I know of has that but I've seen somebody that doesn't have hands and the struggles and the work that they have to go through without hands without the use of their appendages their fingers it makes life acutely or exponentially more difficult than it would be if they had hands and that's not demeaning them. That's saying we as the body of Christ, we have the option to go without hands. If we say, I don't want to be a hand, I want to be like this person, or I don't want to be this, I want to be like this, then we have the ability to be either a body of Christ that has all the pieces working together and assembled properly, held together by everyone functioning and doing the part that they're called to do, or we have the ability to be a a crippled body with no eyes or no hands or no ears and life becomes exponentially more difficult. We have the ability to try and go out and accomplish the mission of Christ disabled or we have the ability to accomplish the mission of Christ as a fully functioning body of Christ. There's a couple things I want to point right here. 
it says when each part is working properly when each part is working properly so when you look at properly you just look at that as like okay it's doing what it's supposed to do God has gifted you as an individual member of the body with a certain calling and or a certain leaning or a certain leading or certain likes certain dislikes faith loves and music that's a leaning that she had even when you take it away from the spiritual aspect she's just naturally gifted and leaning in a certain way and then you put the anointing of God on that she's increasingly gifted in that way so she uses that gift through music to honor God there's some of you that have a certain leaning or a certain gifting and you to do it properly, you give it to God, you pray over it, and you study and you try to grow in that area and seek how to use that to better edify the body, working properly. And if everybody would do this, then the body would begin to grow. It says grow and build itself up in love. We would begin to grow in maturity as believers, but we would also begin to grow numerically because everybody out there would say, I want that. Because this is what Jesus says. And we'll start to, start to pull this back around. Jesus says that this, that our unity, our love, our relationship one another, our fellowship, that's what proves all of this. That's what proves that we're disciples. It says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It says it proves that we're saved, that we're born again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It proves that we love God. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It proves that we're obedient. And this is the commandment that we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And finally, and most importantly, it proves that God loves us to everyone out there. This is John 17. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, one body, even as we, Jesus and God the Father, are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, not just kind of assembled, perfectly assembled. No pieces, no pile of pieces left out. You got the finished product and pile of pieces. No, all the pieces are used. Finished product, they're perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. So it's not with a famous actor getting saved and preaching. It's not with a famous athlete. It's not with good strategy to reach the community. The way that we truly reach the community and show that Jesus actually came and that God actually loves the people of the world is by our unity and love for one another. We love each other. They see that love. They realize that that doesn't exist in the world apart from God. They begin to seek and that proves that Jesus has in fact died for us, changed who we are on the inside and that God's love is reflected off of us to them. Now, I got a lot of this stuff, but I'm going to tie it back to the Emmaus real quick and kind of conclude this. The Emmaus Road, where we started on this series, they had left Jerusalem, where all the events happened, where Jesus was crucified, where Jesus raised. They left Jerusalem and they were going toward a town called Emmaus. Jesus met them along the way. Jesus sat at an inn with them. They fellowship, broke bed together. Jesus disappeared. They are like, this was the Son of God. They get up immediately, middle of the night, and go back to Jerusalem. 
where all the other believers are, where the congregation is, where the church is. See, they met Jesus and they came back to Jerusalem to the believers. They were leaving the congregation. They were moving away from the body of believers. They met Jesus. They went back to the body of believers. And see, on this journey when we started out, think of a pyramid. Just a triangle with no bottom. We don't need the bottom. An upside down V. Jesus at the top. If we embrace the teaching of Jesus as we climb this mountain, this pyramid, and get closer to Jesus, I on one side and you on the other, see if I set this down, I can do this. So if we've got a triangle, Jesus is up here, I start out over here, you start out over here. We each start moving towards Jesus. What are we doing? We're also moving towards each other. The closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to unity among other believers. And it, that's where we started at was the teaching, but it's also the foundation. If Jesus is our foundation and we're built upon that foundation and we're assembled together, then we're being united by Jesus. And the same thing is true with our desire by counting worthless gain or all the things that we count as gain. In comparison to Christ, we esteem them worthless. If we're consumed by Jesus and we're focused and fixated on the same goal, as we move towards Him, we're moving towards each other. We're consumed by the same objective. The same thing is true with the bride and Jesus being the groom. If we're married to Christ, then we're unified by our covenant. If we're I'm a branch over here and you're a branch over here and we're connected to the same vine. We're united by the very fact that we are centered in the vine. Does that make sense? And so finally, when we're looking at the body, the pieces are assembled together, working properly in the fact that we're united in Christ. And I'll just close with this. You don't have to turn anywhere. Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil that's poured upon the head that flows down under the beard and even to the garments. For the body, and we recognize Jesus as the head, and the oil is the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit moving through the church. It starts by saying, Behold how good it is for God's people to dwell together in unity. Then it talks about the flowing of the oil. If we want power in this ministry... And I'm not just talking about signs and wonders and emotions and you know chill bumps and things that make you feel good, make you excited. I'm talking about a powerful or power-filled ministry where we actually see people saved, lives changed, a community impacted. It starts with our unity. Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this morning. Lord, I thank You for unity among believers. But not uniformity, not where everybody looks alike, talks alike, sounds alike, but where everybody is so different, yet unified in the same goal. Unity empowered by diversity. Lord, I, that's what I want in this body. We can all look different, think different, act different, but we're united under the common banner Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, Jesus Christ, our goal, our passion, our desire. As we've walked through these different relations, these intimate relationships with Jesus, we realize that each one is pushing a singular message, a singular thought through them all. And that's that we are one even as You and the Father are one, Jesus. So I pray over that. I pray that anything that we have... The Bible says this. It says... If we know that we have issues, and this is, this is me talking to myself here, if I know that I have issues with somebody, or somebody has issues with me, like, like my friend who, who walked out on my life, 
those issues, I do my diligence before I even offer my gift upon the altar. So God, I'm just asking right now that, that all of the attempts of the enemy to come against the unity of this body, I rebuke it and I reject it. This body is going to be unified with one goal, with one passion, with one focus, and one desire, and that's Jesus. We are going to be centered on Jesus, and in that we are going to be unbreakable. It says a threefold cord is not easily broken. Me, you, and Jesus. Lord, let us be unified. And let what you've joined together, no one can take apart. You've joined this body together and you're continually growing it all the time. Lord, let our unity stand sure. Let our unity stand fast. In Jesus' name, amen.